Welcome to the podcast Love at First Science with me, your host and fellow inquisitive inquirer, lover of all things nerdy, Celeste. As a physiotherapist and neuroscience student, I really do love science. But I'm also really interested in the world of business, creativity, psychology. So this podcast is going to interview all sorts of different people from many different backgrounds to really gain an understanding of the science behind their passion. We are heading into series one, which is all about breathing, and we have five incredible guests lined up to talk about various facets of breathing, from your vocal cords all the way down to your pelvic floor. Thanks for joining me for episode one, where we're going to be talking to renowned science journalist and author of Breathe, James Nestor. I wrote to James almost half expecting never to hear back. I mean, he's so busy, he's so in demand. But he took the time out of his busy schedule to actually be on the podcast and simultaneously we interviewed him on Instagram. And I'd just like to apologize, we haven't got the most amazing sound quality, but you know what? His wisdom comes through loud and clear. So without much further hesitation, let's jump straight into the interview with James Nestor. Thank you again for joining. I have a lot of different questions that people have asked. But first of all, James, maybe just give everybody a little bit of a background about you just so that you can introduce yourself for those who haven't read your book yet. Mm -hmm. I am a science journalist and author, and I usually write about uh, the human body. And I write about free diving, write about some surfing, and I've been doing a much deeper dive into different functions of the body and how we've forgotten some basic things about our body and how by restoring those functions, we can really take control of our health in a big way. Awesome. And then James, you know, one of the, I think, shocking messages that came through to me this week, especially because I've written, read your book, I think that's why it was so, so shocking, was um, someone wrote to me saying, you know, I have a physio and they have been looking for research and they can't find any benefits to either nasal or mouth breathing. And I was like, are you joking? Have you read James's book? Have you read Oxygen Advantage? So I've put them onto those two resources, but I was wondering if you can just expand on the science behind why we should optimize using nasal breathing. Mm, yeah, you know, there's, there's so many studies out on this stuff and we've, we've known this information for decades and decades. There's 300, 400, uh, I think even 500 different studies on my website that are available for free. Patrick McEwen has also posted his entire bibliography. So the stuff is out there, but breathing falls through the cracks of, of uh, in between like anatomy and physiology, and nobody really takes it as, as their thing to understand and appreciate and to study. And I say this because pulmonologists look at pathologies of the lungs. They're looking at when we have problems breathing, but they're not looking at good breathing and they're not looking at the milder problems associated that with breathing that can lead to larger problems. I know this because my father-in-law is a pulmonologist. And oh, uh, when I was first, first, first beginning this book, I said, should we breathe six times a minute? Should we breathe eight times a minute? He said, I have no idea. He's like, I'm <laughs> dealing with people with, who just got in a car accident or have lung cancer. And, and so he was, he was a great sounding board for so many of the different studies that I was finding. So um, that's a long way of saying nasal breathing. Um, I'll, I'll bring on my guest here. Uh, so this is why you want to nasal breathe, because if you breathe air through the nose, you're pressurizing air, you're conditioning it, you're heating it, you're moistening it, you're forcing it through the gauntlet of different structures, right? 
And as it goes through this gauntlet of different structures, it's, it's conditioned so that by the time it enters the lungs, we can absorb about 20% more oxygen breathing through our noses than we can through our mouth. If you look at the mouth, none of that stuff is there. That's how long it takes to take a breath through the mouth, but through the nose, it takes a long time. People think, well, that's bad. I want air more, more quickly. Um, it's such a Western way of looking at this stuff. You, you are able to use air so much more efficiently if you take it through your nose, specifically because it slows it down. <laughs> you can't absorb oxygen when you're, when you're breathing that fast. And if you're talking about working out, if you're talking about jogging, you, all you do is see people, I'm, I'm in San Francisco, I see people every single day running around <sighs> thinking they're getting more air, but they're actually depleting themselves of oxygen by breathing this way. So it's so counterintuitive, but it's basic physiology. And when you start looking at how the body works, you start understanding that this is how we are supposed to breathe. Every other animal breathes through its nose, except for humans. Yeah, humans and dogs, actually, which I find quite interesting. But yeah, um, can well, you just talk well, a dog, little bit? Dogs breathe, dogs breathe through their mouth to thermoregulate. That's They're, true. That's, yeah. They can't sweat. Uh, that would be pretty gross if they could. Uh, if my <laughs> dog was sweating all the time. That would be terrible. But that's why they're breathing through their mouth. And unless yeah. you have a pug or you have a bulldog, which is, has such uh, skeletal developmental problems that it can't breathe through its nose, which is why they have so many different issues because we bred them to have this flat face <gasps> that's how they breathe but every other dog in the wild is going to breathe through its nose while it's sleeping yeah. it's going to breathe through its mouth to thermoregulate so big big difference there yeah thank you so much for clarifying and actually this whole discussion around no i need to breathe more through my mouth because then i can push myself harder can you just kind of explain a little bit about why that's kind of misdirected yeah, well, uh, you can think about it as, as an analogy to, to food, too. Do you need to eat a tons of food so you can push yourself further? No, you need to eat the right foods, and you need to eat less of it. And you're going to get more energy that way. So, you know, we're always concerned that we're not getting enough of something. We need more and more and more. We need more vitamins. We need uh, more exercise to get fit. And, and so much of that is found to be com completely false with how the human body develops and adapts to its environment. So breathing is, is right along those lines. So why would you purposely force your body to take, take in way more air than, than you need when you can breathe less and get more energy from those fewer breaths? So it's, it's, it's just a basic, comes down to the basic concept of efficiency. And if you're into performance, if you're an athlete, you want to be performing at peak efficiency, right? So why do you want to overbreathe? And Patrick McCune has talked extensively about this, of how with some breath retraining, after a few weeks, athletes are able to perform at their same level and beyond with 20% less respiration. When you're breathing 20% less, you're using less energy, your heart rate's going down, you can keep yourself more in a parasympathetic state, more in an aerobic state, which allows you to push harder and faster for longer. That's what but we want to do. It's quite difficult for a lot of people. I think it takes a lot of humility to be working less hard in the big, like when you first start switching to nasal breathing, you have to adjust the output. 
Because if you try to run at the same pace, you're probably not going to feel very good. So you have to adjust your pace in the beginning and you have to be quite humble about how hard you're going so that you can sort of build up your tolerance. Can you talk a little bit about that and also how the biochemistry works in terms of CO2 and how we need CO2 to help our oxygen uptake? Yeah, so breathing through the nose is a complete pain in the butt when, when you switch. Oh, okay, just, just to be clear, and it takes some people weeks, it takes some people months to, to truly acclimate because we are conditioned through our environment, through our clothes, through our, our plugged noses, through the, develop, the developmental changes that have occurred to the human body to be more apt to breathe through our mouths. We have skeletal skeletature that has changed, musculature that has changed in our faces, that, that we become habitual mouth breathers. And this is very easy to see when you look at ancient skeletons compared to modern skeletons. They have these pronathic jaws, these big wide mouths, perfectly straight teeth. We have these very thin faces, these retronathic jaws. We have crooked teeth. So, so once you acknowledge that, you're like, okay, so that's one of the reasons why so many of us are breathing through our mouths. We get conditioned to breathing through our mouths when we're kids. And so we carry that along with us when we're, in, when we're adults. Something like 60% of people sleep with an open mouth, okay? That's, that's a known thing. And upwards of to about 50% are, are chronic mouth breathers, and probably way beyond that from, from what I've seen. So switching to that from a habit you've had for for years even decades is really hard because your nose isn't used to it and some people need surgery okay some people need more intense interventions but most of us from what i've seen from so many researchers and experts we just need to start breathing through our noses more and our noses will acclimate to this and this is what i heard down at stanford they will start to open these tissues will open just like any other muscle just like anything else in the body not going to say it's easy. It's a pain in the butt for so many people, but the science is very clear that the benefits you get from that in performance and heart rate variability and so many other benefits are, are known. No one's refuting that. It's just a lot of people try it for a couple of days, say that sucks and go back to mouth breathing. Yeah. Yeah. It's so tough in the beginning to make the switch. Can you talk a little bit about the biochemistry, how a lot of times the sort of narrative is, oh, I breathe more because I need more oxygen, but actually that that is misdirected and not, not accurate at all. Yeah. So uh, Patrick McEwen shared with me this, this graph, which I thought was so fascinating. So if we're breathing at a rate of about 18 breaths a minute, 18 to 20 breaths a minute, we're using 50% of the oxygen in each of those breaths. The reason is we're bringing air in, we're breathing just to the top of the lungs, the top lobes here, but so much of that air is entering into our throat, our mouth, and other areas that are considered dead space that don't participate in gas exchange. So we just bring air in to breathe it back out without ever using it. So 50%. A lot. When we breathe at a rate of six breaths a minute, we use 85% of that air. And if you don't yeah. think that a 35% increase and efficiency is gonna affect you throughout the day. It's gonna affect you when you're working out. You're crazy. And what, what's great about this stuff is it's so easy to measure. Breathing is easy. It's not like, hey, hey man, how do you feel? Does that feel better? <laughs> you can see it with a pulse oximeter, the heart rate variability monitor. You can see it through, through so many different metrics. Yeah. And that's where it gets very convincing when you can watch these changes happen in your body in real time as you switch your breathing. 
Amazing. And uh, also, I know a lot of times when people are breathing at that heightened rate, they're actually blowing off too much CO2, right? And actually, yeah. you need to retain some of it. Yeah. So, so what happens when you overbreathe? you become more alkaline, which actually makes it harder for that oxygen to disassociate from hemoglobin into your hungry cells and your muscles and your tissues. And this is called the Bohr effect, and it was discovered more than 100 years ago. So there's not a lot of controversy about this. Overbreathing yeah. is bad. It makes, makes your pH more, more alkaline. I mean, we can deal with it for a while. There's some overbreathing, Wim Hof method, Sudarshan Kriya, allotropic breath work. You're doing this on purpose. You're purposely stressing yourself out because when you overbreathe, you stress yourself out. So by purposely stressing yourself out, you can become more acclimated and comfortable with states of stress so that when you become stressed, when you're not breathing, you can take control of that stress and help balance your nervous system function. Um, but, but this is, again, this is known stuff. Anyone who's ever studied this is, knows this is basic biochemistry. It's, and, and yet you still see people who are either trainers or working out that, you know, they're just, ah, got to get air into my body. But yet did they know if they breathed at half that rate, they would be getting more oxygen into their bodies. They would be able to stay more aerobic as opposed to going into anaerobic respiration. And this is so important when you're working out or actually any time of the day. Yeah, and I know that you actually, you actually went the distance and blocked up your nose for a while. And I mean, that must have been uh, intense. Like, can you talk us through that yeah. experience? Yeah, that wasn't the, <laughs> I, I did not set out to do this. See, a lot of people think that when you start a book, like you have it all planned out because you have to write in nonfiction, you have to write a proposal. It's about a 50, 60 page proposal. Here are all the chapters. Here are all the people I'm going to talk to. Here, here's all the stuff I'm, I'm going to cover in this book. And that, that's what you sell. You get that and, and sell that. And they give you a, a modicum of cash to go out and write it. I'm mentioning this because I did all that because that's how you get a book contract. I had to throw everything out once I started getting deeper into this field. So I just lost years of work uh, be, because breathing was so much weirder than I ever thought it would be. And one person that really helped navigate me through this very weird field is Dr. Jayakar Nayak. He is the chief of rhinology research at Stanford. I'm in San Francisco, Stanford's pretty close. Had many lunches with this guy. And what he yeah. was saying was just blowing me away. Leader in the field, like top of the top. What he was saying didn't make any sense to me about the nose versus the mouth. So as we were talking, I said, well, why don't, why don't we test test this in a, in a short experiment. Let's get a bunch of people. You're at Stanford, man. <laughs> like this is what <laughs> your research is what you should be doing. He couldn't do it. <laughs> you can't find, you, you can't find funding. Uh, this is going to be very surprising. Because it's free. To yeah. find funding for things that are not funded by pharmaceutical companies. And I'm not the only it's one so saying this. Go ask any researcher. They're going to say the same thing. Yeah. So I, I had to pay for this, which at Stanford was was disgustingly expensive. And, and Anders Olson, I said, well, having one person do a study where we would be plugged up for 10 days and then the other 10 days we would be breathing through our noses. So plugged up, our noses would be plugged up. Mouth breathing yeah. versus nasal breathing. Anders Olson, amazing researcher, amazing breathing therapist, came out here on and spent his own money to come out to San Francisco for a month to, 
to do this study. And downstairs of, of my house here, we had thousands and thousands of dollars worth of, of equipment there. We tested ourselves three times a day to see what the difference between nasal breathing and mouth breathing, what it would do to our performance, what it would do to our sleep, what it would do to our concentration, what it would do to our weights, uh, blood glucose, uh, 40 different markers. And it, it was a complete disaster. I mean, the study was so terrible. So I lived down here for in, in this, this downstairs unit because I just didn't want to see anyone else. Um, but it was, it was awful, but we learned some very, very important things. Not everything changed, you know. Uh, it was just 10 days after, after 10 years. Yes. I'm sure that you have some, some very significant effects. But, but our sleep was, was the most pronounced and crazy thing to go from zero snoring, zero sleep apnea, to snoring through most of the night, through choking on ourselves, just by mm -hmm. switching the pathway through which we breathe. And who's talking about this? Who's talking yeah. about snoring and nasal breathing and, and sleep apnea? And Nobody, um, right. except a few amazing researchers. Christian Gimeno uh, down at Stanford has been talking about this for 50 years. And, but it's all hidden away in academic journals. So, you know, I could go on and on about that. I do in the book. But, but it was a way for me to experience personally what these other researchers had found in, in their own studies. And uh, not recommended. Not a good way of spending no. 10 days, people. So don't try that at home. You don't <laughs> need to. I already did it. Breathe through your nose and celebrate the wonders of that. And you know, when I, I had to do like quite a long intro to wait for you to come in and I was like babbling away, but I had to share with everyone that for some reason, I've always been a great sleeper. I've never, ever snored really. And through lockdown, weirdly, I don't know what it is about being in an enclosed space for many hours. I started snoring so loud. My boyfriend was like, you're going to have to go sleep in the spare room. Like, I'm not getting a wink here. And I was like, don't worry, I'm going to find a solution. I'm going to find a way. And then, thank goodness, I actually decided to run a workshop on breathing. And I read your book. And instantly, I started taping my mouth. And thank goodness, that is not happening. My sleep is so much better. I was really having a lot of trouble with sleep. I'm back in my bed, which is great. But I did want to ask you to give us a little bit of information about mouth taping. People are a bit freaked out by it. I was when I first heard about it. And I thought, you know what, James is going to put our mind at rest about this really odd practice that really works. Yeah, so I thought it was pretty a pretty silly thing to do at the beginning and heard all these uh, bad things about it. Someone told, told me that uh, you don't want to do that because if you vomit when you're sleeping, it can hold the vomit into your throat. It's like, who's vomiting when they're sleeping? <laughs> That's not happening too much in my life. Maybe maybe other people have, have that chronic problem. Um, so I thought that that was interesting. And then I went on YouTube, which which no one should ever do for any reason, but but I did. And, uh, you know, saw these videos of people using nine pieces of tape, a tape goatee. Yeah, it's all real. No. And so I was down at Stanford at, at NIAC's lab, and I walked across the hall to, to Dr. Ann Kearney. She's a speech-language pathologist at Stanford. And uh, I knew that she, she uh, taught people how to breathe, people who had uh, recuperating from, from uh, different surgeries and different problems. And so I just started rapping with her and, and she pulled out this fat uh, strip of, of blue tape. She's like, yeah, I have people tape that. She's like, of course I do. You, you want a nasal breathe? I was like, you're at Stanford doing this? And, and so she told me about it and I said, okay. And, and I tried it and it was 
absolutely transformative. So I've been sleeping with an open mouth my whole life. I mean, most, most people do, okay? And I thought it was normal to go to sleep with this, a bagel jug next to every, didn't, didn't matter if I was in a hotel, if I was camping, if I was at home. I would always, I would have to have yeah, water right too. next to me because I'd wake up, take a hit. I thought this was totally normal. Uh, it's not normal at all. So we lose 40% more moisture when we're breathing through our mouths. What causes all that dryness in your mouth when you're sleeping? <sighs> that, right? And what happens to your mouth is it becomes more acidic when, when your mouth is open and you're breathing through your mouth which causes periodontal disease and cavities. And dentists yeah. have been talking about this for more than a hundred years and no one's listening. So I yeah. started taping. It was terrible. I said, this is, this is an awful thing. It feels so bad. Like I remember entering into that hypnagogic state right before you go to sleep and go <sighs> freaking out because my body was just like the pathway through which you breathe is closed. What am I going to yeah. do? Took a while. And after now, I've been doing this for years. I do it every single night, wherever I am. I carry around the roll of tape. And it's, it's transformed my sleep. And one of the best things about this book is in the last 10 months since it's been out, I've received hundreds, probably thousands of, yeah. of emails from people saying, I've been snoring my whole life. I have to sleep in a different room. Uh, I have to sleep away from my, my spouse. My kids make fun of me, on and on and on. And they're not snoring anymore. Wow. And some of them were even having their, they no longer have sleep apnea. So I want to make something very, very clear here. I'm not saying a little piece of tape is going to cure all your problems. I would never say this. Some people have nasal problems. They need surgical interventions, right? What I'm saying is this, this tape is free. Okay. It's very easy to do. Don't use a fat strip. You want just a teeny strip little tiny. In, in, at the center, yeah. little tiny one. at this like a Charlie Chaplin yeah. mustache at the center of your mouth. It's a free and easy thing to do. I know it works. It's worked for me. You can try it out. If it doesn't work for you, that's okay. How much exactly. did it cost you? Zero. <laughs> what are the side yeah. effects? Zero. Nothing. So don't do it when you're drunk, though. Don't do it when <laughs> you're you drunk. Because you might vomit in the middle of the night. I, I don't think it's that <laughs> because your body, your body needs to offload more CO2 when you're drunk. I, I heard this. So you can actually sober up by hyperventilating, by offloading alcohol. That's incredible. Um, so, so do not do this if you've been drinking. Hey there, my lovelies. I just want to say a really big thank you for listening to this podcast. And if you do have a little second to go off and write me a review on Apple iTunes, it helps more than you could ever know. And also, if you're someone who loves to learn more about anatomy, to dive deep into the body, I'm actually offering all of you guys that are my podcast listeners a 20% off code on everything on my site. So head to CelestePerrera.com, use code PODCASTLOVE, and you are going to be getting 20% off everything. Right. Thank you so much for your support. Let's get back to it. One of the questions was, can you ask James if he still tapes his mouth? And I, you've just answered that saying yes. But can you wean yourself off it so that you're still a nasal breather through sleep and you don't need to do the tape? Or do you need to be really committed and stick to it forever? Yes, you can do that, of course. Uh, I am unfortunately not one of those people that have that facial structure. Okay. So to mm -hmm. me, it's not a habit thing. It's a structural problem. Okay. When I put my head on a pillow, this is what happens. So mm. it doesn't, you don't have to sleep like this. 
<laughs> I'm talking just a, just a little bit. And I've tested myself, because that's what I do, pulse oximeter, my aura ring, my snore lab, my everything else. In the I love room. it. I love your geek and levels. I, like, I sleep. It's, it's pathetic. Um, but I sleep so much worse when, when I breathe through my mouth. And I feel like crap in the morning. Okay. My, my mouth is, is so dry. dry. I know. Doesn't, it doesn't feel full as full and as enriching. So I've heard from a lot of people, they only need it for a couple of weeks. Some people need it for a couple of months. People who have uh, issues or profiles like me, I have braces, extractions, headgear, all that crap. And, um, and I'm sure that contributed to having more of a retronathic profile and, and to having my mouth open at night. We've seen that from CAT scans that I've done in myself. So, so not, Everyone's different, right? Some some people need it for, for a couple of weeks. Try it out and try it for a couple of nights without it. See if you're still sleeping with an open mouth. Um, put it back on. I've done all of this and I've found I'm just better off putting that little piece of tape on at night. It makes a huge difference to me. So I haven't quite mastered the art of doing this on airplanes because that's okay. where things are going to get really weird. But I guess with a mask, no one would know. I'm just no. realizing this. Nobody yes. would know. The benefits of COVID, we're slowly having to gather them all up so that we don't feel too bad about the situation. Yes. A lot of questions that I keep getting, and I didn't want to, I was asked, because I did a post about the little, the little mouth tape thing. I had a lot of questions saying, what type of tape do you use? And I didn't want to share my tape because yeah. it's very plasticky. And I was like, well, that's not good for the environment. But do you have any suggestions on better tape? Maybe that's not as harmful to the environment. I mean, I ordered something on Amazon called sleep tape, but I wouldn't order it again because it's so plasticky. Yeah. So, you know, the first thing that, that people are going to do once they, they see a new emerging market is to develop all of these different products to try to, it try was to expensive too. And, you know, it's keep, it's keeping America open for business that there you go. It's great entrepreneurs. I love what you do. That's awesome. You don't need any of that crap, okay? All you need is a simple roll of tape. The stuff, I've probably gone through 20 different types of tape, again, because this is what I do for a living, which is a really weird job to have, to, to go to Walgreens and buy 20 different types of tape. And <laughs> cashier looks at you kind of funny, like, what, like, what are, are you doing with your weekend, my love? <laughs> I said, I'll, I'll tape your lip up if you don't leave me alone. So um, I've found that the 3M Microcore sensitive skin tape. They are not sponsoring me to say this, people. If they want to, the James Nestor sleep tape, I'm here, 3M, contact me, please. Uh, no, uh, so the 3M Micropore sensitive skin tape, I've Micro found is the best. It's tape. Okay. It's, so Micropore like means- paper, right? It, it has, yes, yes. And it has yeah. all these little holes in it, micropore, so it's open. Perfect. It's like surgical tape. Uh, you can buy it yeah. off of Amazon or, or wherever. It's funny because once I started mentioning this, it's just been sold out on Amazon. But, but that stuff works great. That's the stuff I use. Um, and it has this very easy adhesive. You don't want stuff with a thick adhesive. You don't want scotch tape because it's crinkly. You don't want masking tape because it's way too sticky. It's cheap. It's like three bucks a roll, and that roll will last you about six months. So again, even if it doesn't work for you, so cheap. you can use this tape. You can tape other things. Um, around you can the house. tape other you things. Can, you can. You don't have to tape your lips. You can. You can tape. Tape your dog. Christmas Put presents. tape on your on your cat paws. That's a fun one. You know, 
a lot of different functions oh. for that tape. Oh, awesome. Listen, this is so amazing. Okay. I think a big question that a lot of people have because it's so common is a deviated septum. Yeah. So is this a surgery, right? We need to be going surgery. Uh, what have you got to say on this? Because maybe there's some so natural thing that people can try. Seventy. So a lot of people they get their CAT scan and say, "Oh, I need. I can't breathe through my nose. I've deviated septum." Uh, do you know what a deviated septum is? Because it is a septum that is deviated, makes it hard for me to breathe through my nose. So a lot of people use this as an excuse to not breathe through their nose. Uh, yet the fact is that 75% of us have a deviated septum that is so deviated that even the naked eye can see it in a scan. So wow. when people say, after they've been scanned, they say, oh, you have a deviated septum, you gotta go into surgery right yeah. now. This is the majority of people and 50% okay. of us have chronically inflamed turbinates. So we are completely messed up. And yet, most people with a deviated septum do not need surgery. They need to use their noses. Your noses are going to adjust for you. I want to be very clear right here that some people have a septum that is so deviated, they do need surgery, right? They, they need the septoplasty. But for most of us, uh, I took a CAT scan um, of my head, of my completely messed up head at Stanford, and Nyack was looking at it and laughing. And you don't want a doctor to laugh at <laughs> how messed up you are. He's like, you are a perfect candidate for surgery. He's like, look at the septum. My nose has been broken like three or four times. So he's like, you're completely messed up. I said, well, I want to try this all natural at all first and see how it works. I'll come back to you in a year and we'll do surgery. So through, through methods, through breathing through your nose all the time, through sleep tape, through other exercises, I found that I don't need surgery at all. I'm breathing just fine. I'm not saying that my personal experience is the same for everyone. Everyone's different. Everyone has a slightly different problem. But the first thing you should do, any responsible ENT is gonna say this, start off slowly. Become an obligate nasal breather first instead mm -hmm. of running into surgery, okay? After that, try some other interventions that, that are much milder to the body and to the nose and try to let, let nature heal you and acclimate you to breathe better. And then after, if all of that fails, surgery is a life changer. You find a very conservative ENT and get surgery. And if it's done well, your whole life will change but yeah. why wouldn't you want to start off slow and steady um, with things that are free, right? Before you go uh, immediately under the knife. So that's my very long-winded explanation of a deviated septum. Most of us have this. So yeah. it's what you do with it. And, and, and the fact that your body does adapt, it's like, I think one of the things, cause I'm a trained physio and you know, a lot of times we kind of give a label to a patient, for example, we'll say to them, you have an unstable SI joint and they take that as like forever. I will always have an unstable SI joint. But the truth is the body's always adapting. It depends on what you do more of the body. If you force yourself to nasal breathe, your body has to adapt to that. And probably the structures within your nasal cavity will, will drastically change within a month to keep you breathing. It wants you to stay alive. That's, that's exactly right. And you know, a lot of us, 
sort of rely on this crutch of, of genetics. Oh, my mom had problems with this, I had problems, I guess I'm just hosed. You, you know, most of what determines who we are and how we are is epigenetic. So it depends on the environmental inputs we put into our bodies. And this is, this is known stuff, something like 75% of what we will become is based on what we do with our bodies. So I'm not saying that 75% isn't 100%, right? Some, some people have genetically predisposed to, to suffer from neurological issues later on in life. We, we know that. But, but most of, of what we have, of what we're born with, is changing. I mean, if you look at our ancestors just a few hundred years ago, their teeth were perfect, okay? They didn't have all of these chronic modern problems. So these chronic modern problems developed from something. They didn't randomly develop. And we know they developed from environmental inputs, from food, yeah. from the it's way the we're sitting, principle. from lack of access. Yeah, absolutely. And again, this isn't controversial, like woo-woo new age stuff. This is Not science. At all. Like, like you, can, you can look this up in any book. And yet a lot of people, I, it comes down to, you know, people not wanting to improve their own health or wanting to blame blame someone else and and so you know what i try to do in these books is say i'm not going to tell you what to do i'm not going to force feed you anything make you feel guilty about it here's the information i found you can do what you want with this you know because it's not effective to tell people like stop eating do you know how bad that is for you like that's that's no. never going to work but i oh, know i've been trying to tell my boyfriend to breathe through his nose while he's exercising and he's not he's being very good, resistant good luck Good luck with that. It's not working. Dealing with a lot of marital issues with people <laughs> writing me. How do I? How do I convince my, you know, my husband not to? That is, those are the emails that just sort of get deleted real quick. I'm not a marriage counselor, people. <laughs> yeah, you, you gotta, need to. You just... have to want to do this stuff, and and totally. I'm not going to be the one to force feed anyone anything. But you know what's so interesting is actually someone has just written a comment saying that they actually had the surgery to rectify their deviated septum. And within a week, they went back to the inflamed state due to allergies. Yeah. But I wonder if it wasn't because maybe, possibly, I'm not saying that this is 100% the case, but if you go back to mouth breathing, your same issues are just going to redevelop, aren't they? Because that's, that's exactly right. So when they were looking at kids who had ADHD, um, ADHD is so closely linked to sleep disordered breathing. When you're struggling to breathe throughout the night, it affects the way your bones grow. It affects the way your brain grows, especially early on in life. It's so important. So they took out their adenoids and they took out their tonsils. And these kids no longer had ADHD, which is amazing. Like it literally, all of their functions were back to normal. After a few years, they started getting it again. Because what they found was if they didn't train them to become obligate nasal breathers, if they continued breathing through their mouths, they continued being inflamed. They continued to struggle to breathe throughout the night. So those two things have to go together. After surgery, it's not just like, hey, we're going to drill you out. Go, go do your thing. You have to establish different habits. And I've heard mm -hmm. this from so many people who have, who have had surgery. They're like, I've had three nasal surgeries. And I'm still clogged up. It's like, something's wrong here then. You don't need <laughs> you know? more nasal um, surgeries. So it, it, doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to be like, we, we think of everything as, as binary, um, but, but a lot of these things are systemic. Like, like breathing can be a systemic problem. It can be caused by allergies, can be caused by dust. So what causes allergies is an overactive immune system. What's causing that overactive immune system? Uh, maybe it's an autoimmune disease. You, you know, so it's, it's, the key is to get to the core of these, these issues 
so that you don't have any of those symptoms. And th this is what uh, Stephen Porges has, has done for, for years and years looking at the vagal system, how the vagal system ties all the different organs together. And he's been seeing patients who suffer from like four different chronic maladies, hypertension, sleep apnea, erectile dysfunction, more. They're given four different drugs for these things. There's nothing wrong with their individual organs. There's a problem with the system that's orchestrating how all these organs work together. And, and so by finding that core thing, breathing is a huge part, food is a big part of this, exercise is a big part, sleeping is a big part, but, but breathing is a huge part of it because you can do all those other things right. If you're not breathing right, you will never ever be healthy. And, and that's, that's the reality. So I'm not saying it's the only thing you need to concentrate on. You need to build your foundation before you do anything else. Yeah, I'm on a neuroscience course at the moment and one of the sections was on breathing and how important breathing is for the brain and how it can actually target different parts of your brain. And what the neuroscientist was drilling into us is that you do, the thing you do more than anything else is breathing. So if you really wanna make changes in your brain, you gotta target breathing because more than any other activity, that's what you're doing moment to moment. So if you don't do it right, you're gonna create different, um, you're gonna create structural changes in your brain. So yeah. Yeah, well, away. Uh, everyone thinks thinks that we you know we get energy from food which which we do so oh i gotta eat right so i so i have more energy we get most of our energy from our breath so yeah. so that's that's the reality it's what one glucose per per six molecules of oxygen like one to six ratio <laughs> that's a big difference um i need to check that out that that's what i heard from a researcher and it blew my mind so i, yeah. I it's at least it's at least twice or, or three times the amount, is from oxygen. So how you get that oxygen, how efficiently you get that oxygen, of course it's gonna make a difference in, in, in your daily energy levels and, and everything else. And, and again, nobody's arguing this. Um, any, anyone that's studied the human body and how it works knows this, but it just seems like this message hasn't gotten out to, to the rest of us. Yeah. People who suffer from allergies, do they actually improve with their allergies if they nasal breathe? I'm not going to say that nasal breathing is going to improve anything for, for anyone, okay? Uh, I will say that if you look at the science and if you talk to clinicians, if you talk to people like Patrick McEwen, he uses breathing techniques for so many people with allergies, for hay fever, seasonal allergies. Really? Wow. And, and it works I am a mere journalist, okay? I'm a filter for the information. I go you out and talk awesome. to these people. He is a clinician. He's yeah, like he's the researcher. He's the guy who does the work and has seen something like 5,000, 6,000 yeah. people. He's booked 18 months in advance. So it works incredibly well for some people with some allergies. Um, and he can tell you how to do that. But here's a little hint starts with breathing through the nose all and the time try. and not breathing too much. Exactly. That's, so this is a funny question that's come through. Um, should I trim or not trim my nasal hair? You know what, how, <laughs> what, what you do with your, your body and your life and your nose and your nasal hair is uh, completely up to you. But I, I mean, will is mention, it, I, yeah, I it's needed, right? Something that the density of your nasal hair has been found to impact how apt you will be to suffer from asthma. And that is a study that is available in the book. So what, what nasal hair does, it's there for a reason, okay? It helps catch crap, 
it helps slow down air, right? It's slowing down air, slower breaths means more oxygen, okay? So it's there for a reason. We need it. If I were you, I would consider leaving it in there because it's not there randomly. But I, I don't want to get into, you know, aesthetics here. You can do, do, do whatever you want. But it is, it is there for a reason. Maybe someone's going to find some neat way of treating nasal hair. And uh, you could dye it. You could braid it. Uh, some way to make it more attractive <laughs> for people. But, uh, but uh, what, what like you do, with, with, yeah, with what you do with your life is, is up to you. I'd, I'd leave it in, but, um, you know, enjoy yourself. Um, someone wants to know if it's ever okay to breathe out through your mouth, you know, in through the nose, out through the mouth. But that's kind of weird, isn't it? That's kind of a weird way to breathe. I don't know if how natural and how sustainable that is moment to moment. Um, yeah, I'm breathing through my mouth a lot, talking to you, okay? So when I'm talking about nasal breathing, this is habitual. This is, this is something that should be a habit. Does that mean you shouldn't breathe through your mouth when you're laughing? No more laughing, people. I don't want no, you to laugh. No, that's not good advice, breathing. James. No more sighing, no more talking, okay? <laughs> no. So throughout the day, we're going to be breathing through our mouths. Perfectly, perfectly normal. I want you to do that. I'm talking about as a habit for the other 95% of the day. A lot of pranayamas, breathing through your mouth. That's great. Wim Hof method, he goes, breathes through his mouth. What's he doing the other 23 and a half hours out of the day? He's breathing through his nose very, very slowly. So, um, these different exercises you do with mouth breathing are perfectly fine. Laughter is perfectly fine. Sighing, yawning, all of this is good. Um, so don't, uh, you know, again, as, as Westerners, we tend to think like it's got to be all or nothing. But nature doesn't really work that way. So breathe through your mouth. I just took a breath through my mouth. That last 2.3 seconds ago. I'm just fine because when yeah. I hang up here, when I go back to nasal breathing, everything's going to be okay. Yeah, especially because when you're sleeping, you should be breathing through your nose. I think if you're so habitual through the day or through the mouth, probably then when you go to sleep, it's going to be through your mouth as well. Yeah, not Which is good. why, with that sleep tape, everybody, if you want it's to try this, try it in the daytime first. We're all sitting Ooh, at home anyway. You're not in an office now anyway, okay? Yeah, that's great. You can put a little piece of tape, leave it on for 10 minutes. Was that comfortable? Okay, next time I'm going to leave it on for 20 minutes. Okay, next time I'm going to leave it on for an hour. And you acclimate yourself in the day, so at night it feels much more natural. Yeah, That's what you want to do. Don't make this stuff. It doesn't have to be a struggle. It's no, easy. it's easy. It should be fun. Oh, you're I, I just wish we weren't running out of time. <laughs> so many good questions coming through. I'm going to take one more from uh, the little list. Um, I'm trying to keep my tongue up during the day for months now but i still notice it always drops any tips so can you just give a bit of background to that because i think people might be confused by why mike is asking that sure so um you know when i said there were going to be many purposes for that tape uh you just got to tape your tongue to the i'm joking don't don't tape your tongue <laughs> so proper oral posture you really got me in a randy mood this morning i don't know why i'm a little sleepy <laughs> <a little laughs> so but prop, proper proper oral posture is 
to have your teeth almost touching or very lightly touching, tongue on the roof of the mouth. I want you to try something now. So just put your tongue on the roof of your mouth, the teeth almost touching, and breathe through your nose. It's really easy, isn't it, right? When you open your mouth, what happens? The tongue rocks back into the mouth. Yeah, and you get blocked. And it's harder, and it's harder to breathe. Yeah. And it's harder to breathe. So this correct oral posture is so important when we're developing, when we're kids, because this actually changes your profile. Yeah, it will make you, you more apt older. to have straight. That's right. Mm. It will make you have straight. It will yeah. influence how your teeth grow in because it will influence your palate. It will allow that upper palate to drop down, become flat, and to have a wider palate, which is exactly what you want. So when you're an adult, harder, things are more set, but keeping that tongue to the, this isn't forcing it, okay? It should be very, the tongue's position is on the roof of the mouth. That's where it belongs, right? It should be very, very casual, very, very easy, effortless. It takes a while to adopt these habits, but uh, it's very clear that this is how we're supposed to be holding our tongues and our mouths. And so many of us are doing this. So have Not you got any tips? It. How do we do, because this person's Shut saying they've been mouth. trying. Shut your mouth. Just That's close your tip. mouth. Shut your mouth. Okay. But don't clench your teeth, okay? <laughs> there should be a teeny bit of space if they're even lightly touching, it's okay. Yeah, you're gonna have to practice, I guess. It takes time I'm if a whole to rewire to a whole lifetime. You're gonna have to practice, but mm. you're gonna look better. You're gonna breathe better. If you're a kid, your face is gonna develop better. Who doesn't want all these things? This is free. What you can do, I'm gonna throw in just one other little tidbit here. There's something called oral pharyngeal exercises. It can significantly reduce snoring. And these are great exercises to do through the day. Check out mm. that scientific say, don't listen to me. What do I know? Nothing. But check out the scientists who actually do this work. And you will see. So by the reason I'm mentioning this is by doing these exercises, you can condition your mouth, okay? You can give a little workout to your mouth to tone your airways and to make it easier for you to adjust to that. I cannot wait to look that stuff up. I'm so geeky about exercises to help improve your life. Well, we learned so much from you, James. I just want to say a heartfelt thank you again, not just for joining me, but for the book. And guys, thank you for your time to be here with us. Big love. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. And that's the end of this week's show. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And if you think of anyone who could possibly benefit from the information that was shared today, honestly, guys, you sharing this podcast really will help more than you could ever know. I'm your host, Celeste Pereira, and I'd like to send you love at First Science.